Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, Big Book Study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, August 27, 2020. Uh, today we're reading from the Big Book, and we are currently uh, at the beginning of Bill's story on page one, uh, starting with the second paragraph, which reads, We landed in England. And we're going to read through three paragraphs, ending with ominous warning which I failed to heed. And we're going to comment on, on the whole shebang. Today's readers, we have uh, Mary G. on the 12 steps, Elaine J. on the 12 traditions, and the readers of the text are Cindy M., Sam S., and Barbara E. And our newcomer greeter following this meeting is Rick J., and the host for the second hour is Matt F. The share ID for yesterday, Wednesday, August 26th, for the 7 a.m., uh, Eastern Standard Time meeting is 15,224. That's 15224. And for the 10 a.m. Uh, meeting, it was 15,225. That's 15225. The OA preamble, preramble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive uh, eating and compulsive food behaviors, and of course, to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, and that is to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer, if you're suffering from compulsive overeating, you can recover too. Um, you got to start with abstinence, and then, of course, the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let me now ask Mary G. If Mary, would you be good enough to read the 12 steps? Good morning. This is Mary G., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Minnesota. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought, sought 
through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our, all our affairs. Thank you for letting me be of service. I pass. Thanks, Mary G. Okay, traditions, traditions. Um, Elaine J., would you be kind enough to read the, uh, the 12 traditions for us? Sure. Good morning, everybody. My name is Elaine J. I'm from Hatboro, Pennsylvania, and I am a compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me uh, be of service this month. Have a great day. Oh, thanks, Celine J. Appreciate that. Okay, here's how this meeting works. Um, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then we stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, for readers is six months, and there is no abstinence requirement for sharing a topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. If you'd like to share, press star one uh, to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying, you know what, I'm done sharing. And then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Bill's story. We are on page one. The second paragraph, it begins, we landed in England. And we're going to read through three paragraphs ending with, 
ominous warning, which I failed to heed. And we're going to comment on all the whole deal. So let me now ask uh, Cindy M. Hey, Cindy, would you get us started this morning? Good morning, Larry and everybody. This is Cindy M. Um, from Campbell, Pennsylvania, uh, recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you for letting me serve. Um, we, we landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire ornator, grenadier, who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot, whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. Um, this is Cindy, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, you know, the biggest thing that hits me about this is that he remembered this. Um, you know, he didn't write this uh, until pretty long after he was, um, after he got back from, uh, from serving. And, and then it was a while because he was um, really deep into his, into his disease for a long time. So um, I'm just amazed that, that his higher power brought this to his mind and that he, that he looked back on that time and thought, wow, I, I should have been listening then. And um, I wish I had seen what I can see now. And, uh, but I just think it's amazing that, that he, that he remembered this and, um, and it, and when, you know, when I've looked back over my life and I've seen God's hand in my life, it's usually in retrospect and, and, um, when I'm actually going through it, I don't really always notice, but, um, you know, I really walk in the shadow of my higher power constantly. And if I remember that, I can constantly stay in conscious contact. And, and that's the idea. And um, I have to turn everything over to God or else I take over. Um, and um, I'm sure there were, very, there were a lot of ominous warnings, which I failed to heed. Um, but thank God. Um, you know, just like this little moment that he saw this, um, it was like he was seeing God's hand in his life way before he even thought about it. So thank you for listening and um, have a good day. And I pass. Uh, thanks so much, Cindy. Much appreciated to get us started this morning. Uh, Cindy read uh, from Bill's story, page one, the second paragraph, and she read through three paragraphs. Uh, and then we're going to comment on all three. Now, though we value your experience, we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day in order that others might uh, participate in this uh, show and tell deal here. So, um, so who would like to share on what was read this morning? Katie F. Katie. Harlan G. Uh, we got Harlan, Katie and Harlan. Who else? Larry G. Larry, good morning. Anybody else? 
Eileen from uh, Eileen D. Was it Eileen? Did yes. I get that right? Eileen D. Yes. Oh, great. Eileen. Okay. Katie, Harlan, Larry, Eileen. Anybody else? Okay. Well, that would be a good group to get us started here. We get uh, Katie, Harlan, Larry, and Eileen. Good morning, Katie S. How are you? <laughs> good morning. This is Katie F, a recovered compulsive overeater. Ominous morning, warning, not morning, uh, warning, which I failed to heed. Yes, I, um, when I was 23 and I'm now 60, I was in OA. I'd been in OA for a couple of years. And, um, but at that time, you know, I didn't worry about abstaining from drinking because I wasn't an alcoholic. And so, but I, I had moved to Hawaii and, uh, been living there for about nine months and, and I was drinking a lot and I read this pamphlet called young people and alcoholism. And so I, I got really scared and I was like, wow, that, that could be where I could go. And, um, and I had an aunt who was an al recovering alcoholic. I had a, um, uncle who was never recovered alcoholic. And so I took that warning and I, um, from, from that pamphlet and I've never had a drink since. Um, you know, that was many, many years ago and, but it didn't work that way with the food. You know, I didn't, um, I couldn't just hear about this program and hear about, you know, what might happen to me. I had to experience it myself. You know, unfortunately, you know, it felt like a hundred years, but it was another four years before I got abstinent after, you know, putting down the alcohol um, my food had to get much, much worse um, with, you know, the, the things that I never had happened to me with alcohol. I never thought about alcohol in the middle of the night. I never thought about it first thing in the morning. I never, you know, was digging through the trash trying to find, you know, a few drops left in a bottle. Um, all the things that I ended up doing with the food, you know, I had to experience that before I could say, you know, I surrender, I give up, this is, um, this is killing me. And I didn't, um, you know, I realized now after actually after, you know, being on a vision for you and really studying the big book, like, I don't even know if I really am an alcoholic because I never had that experience of, um, like I did with the food of the mental obsession, uh, just I had the allergy of the body that once I started drinking, I, I wouldn't stop. But it was mostly because it was sweet. So um, I'm grateful to be a recovered food addict and compulsive overeater and that I don't have to go back out and figure out if I really am an alcoholic because I do believe that I need to have the alcohol down in order to be abstinent. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Okay, next up, we uh, pitching uh, is Babe Ruth. <laughs> well, I'd rather be a Cub than a Yankee, but okay. Uh, thank you, Larry, and thanks for your service. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. Bill Wilson is born on the 26th of November, 1895, and in 1906, his parents are going to get divorced, and that is going to severely impact young Bill Wilson and Dorothy, his younger sister. 
Gilman Wilson is Bill Wilson's father. Gilman is an alcoholic. Gilman's father, Grandpa Wilson, is an alcoholic. Alcoholism has ripped the Wilson family asunder. Alcoholism has done horrible things to the Wilsons. Bill will grow up very, very much a person with anxiety and depression after Bertha Bamford died and so on and so forth. But he is looking at his 1917. He has been drinking since the spring of 17 when he was first drafted into World War I. It is now late summer of 1917, and he has become acquainted with the solution that alcoholism brings. He says in the first paragraph, I was very lonely, and again turned to alcohol. He looks at a man's grave named Thatcher. A little later on, we're going to look at a man named Thatcher. And the man is a Hampshire grenadier, which means he's a soldier from Hampshire who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is near forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Now, pot is how they drank beer in England in those days. There was quart pots and pint pots. And you stood and drank. You didn't sit and drink. That was considered very bad manners. And they would say, the barkeepers would uh, say, watch your pints and quarts over there if the guys got a little rowdy. And in the early 1700s, late 1600s, when that expression came here to the colonies, it became watch your P's and Q's. But in those days, it was watch your drinking. And Bill is looking at this, and he is looking at the the man's grave who drank himself to death. And he's thinking about his father. And he's thinking about his grandfather. And his mother, Emily, has warned him many times against drinking. And the Gilmans, who not the the uh, yeah the Gilmans who raised him have warned him not to start drinking, and he has started drinking, and it is scaring him, and it is going to be something that he is going to remember. In the next paragraphs, we're going to see the progression of Bill's disease. We're going to see the way Bill thinks and the way Bill drinks. And if we can match with the way we think and the way we eat and the things that happen to Bill, we are going to see how he will spiral and spiral down and spiral down. And tomorrow we're going to read a paragraph about Bill's optimism. And by the time this chapter is over, we're going to see Bill plunge into the nadir of his alcoholism. But in this little vignette, which he is going to recall again in this chapter, he will recall it. He first sees this 1917, he will write the big book in 37 and 38, 20 and 21 years later, and the big book will be published in 39, April 10th, and he will recall this event for the rest of his life because he sees the grave of a man who drank himself to death, and he is scared. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thanks, Harlan. Okay, next up we have Larry G. followed by Eileen. Hey, Larry, good morning. Good morning, and uh, thank you, everybody, for your service in the month of uh, August. My name is Larry. I'm from Northern California. Um, you know, the truth is you can't scare a drunk straight. Um, I have had many, uh, many ominous warnings. Uh, 
the summer of 1971, I graduated from high school. I went and played in a collegiate league in Strathburn, Ontario. And in a boarding house, I ate tainted food. I knew it was tainted. I knew it was spoiled, but I ate it anyway. And I nearly died for that. Um, I went from 220 pounds to 170 pounds. I was in the hospital for two or three weeks on IVs. Uh, you think that would have been enough. Um, you know, if I had heated ominous warnings, that means that I'm not a compulsive eater. It means I'm either a, a normie or I'm a problem drinker. And if I have sufficient reason to stop eating compulsively, then I'll stop. Um, I came to OA in 1988, uh, come and gone, um, in, in the program for 26 years. And out of that 26 years, I had four years of uh, blissful abstinence. But it was like a diet. You know, sooner or later, uh, I would drink again. Um, so I came into visions uh, in May 17th of this year. And I was so sick, so sick that I could not see how sick I was. My mind had been warped. I had my knees. Uh, and on May 17th, I sat on the couch. I uh, had just eaten probably 30,000 calories that day. Um, I abused the slogan, um, it's progress, not perfection. I forgot it was spiritual progress, not perfection. Um, and I made, I made it okay to binge once or twice a week eating 10, 15,000 calories. And on May 17th, I sat on the couch. I just couldn't. I couldn't do anymore. I'd been to uh, been the OA. I'd been to uh, OA Primary Purpose. I'd been to OA How. Um, my next move was another program. I knew I was done. I, I knew that I was done. And I made a call to a woman who I did not know was in this program. She said one th- one thing to me: get on a visions call. And I said to myself, you know. Another fucking meeting, excuse my language, another meeting. I just want you to give me the uh, the magic formula. And I got in this meeting, and for the first time in my life, I heard people that ate the way I eat, that, that think about food the way I think about food, and I behave the way I behave around food. Uh, and I've been on this call ever since, and uh, I'm holding on and uh, with dear life. And uh, there's, I, I don't want to come to this group and tell you that I've relapsed again. Um, I'm terrified of taking that first bite. And on August 2nd, 1981, I came to the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's, it's the most important date of my life. You could waterboard me, uh, and I wouldn't drink. And I feel the same way about May 17th, 2020. I feel it's a sacred date, and I am going to fight for every last breath to stay abstinent. Um, Thank you very much. I pass. Thank you, Larry. Okay, next up, we got Eileen the Dream. Hey, Eileen. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, good morning. I'm Eileen D. Um, and I'm vacationing in Maine, sitting in a parking lot called Historic Workers Willing Hall because I need a meeting. And I had to leave my cottage and my family and get up early, and here I am. So uh, I'd like to... Uh, say thank you for all of you for being here. Um, I'm going to focus on the ominous warning, which I failed to heed this morning. Um, In 1973, I was invited to an OA meeting, and I made light of it. I I was a young teacher. I didn't have a whole lot of weight to lose. All my friends were going. 
and it kind of made light of it. And five years later, I had moved to another city, and I hit rock bottom. And uh, a beautiful woman 12-stepped me into the program. And I remember that I put her number in my polyester stretch pants because I was on Capitol Hill walking my dog and getting ready to binge, and she just 12-stepped me, saw me, we talked. And when I, when I washed it, and the, the number stayed completely clean, perfect. I could still read it. I called her right before my next big binge, and she took me to a meeting. And that was uh, five years later, 1978. And I didn't become abstinent until 1989. Talk about the depth of this addiction. The, the, the sliding, the slippery slope, the first compulsive bite. I mean, I was, I was, I had a high-powered job. I did lobbying, I did that, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, the food had me. I, I could have been the grenadier, you know, at this at that point in my life. But I, I got it. I got the gift of abstinence, and I hung to it. I just clung to it for the next ten years. And then I got mad at God for some silly reason in my life. And another night. Years later, I became abstinent. And those numbers are amazing to me that I would come in and out of the program. I knew it worked, and I would try different sponsors. But I now have been abstinent for a year and a half, a little more than that. And I am absolutely the warning is every day. You know, if I'm with a family and I need a meeting, I will, I will get up early. I will go down, I'll find cell phone reception in this rugged, beautiful coast of Maine, and I will get on the call. So I just wanted to thank you all for being here. Thank you for making it happen that I can have a good accident day today. Um, and with that, I pass. Uh, thanks, Eileen. Okay, let me tell you where we're at if you, if you just fell out of bed. We're in uh, uh, Bill's story, page one, the second paragraph. It begins, we landed in England. And we read, read through three paragraphs. So who wants to join this uh, show and tell deal here? Karen K. Karen. Reba Amy. Sophia J. Sophia. Catherine C. Catherine. Was that Michelle? Yes. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Let me tell you who I heard. I heard Karen. I always hear Reba. I hear Amy, Roz, Sophia, Catherine, and Michelle. Let's go with that group, and then we'll, we'll get you around the bend here. So if everyone would mute, unless you're Karen. Now, if you're Karen, go ahead and mute, and Karen, you're up. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Karen. I'm a recovered um Compulsive eater, but certainly not cured, and my credits don't transfer. Karen, we seem to have lost you. If you'd press star one again. Good morning, everybody. My name is Karen Kay, and uh, I'm a recovered compulsive eater, but certainly not cured, and my credits don't transfer. Um, this is the first time I saw that Bill was 22. I was 23 when I came into program, and um, I really try to, when I'm on this line, I really try to focus on compulsive eating, um, and how does this book relate to my disease, 
And I didn't know when I went into OA the first time that um, there were so many different versions of the program, and now there's even more. Um, I just would have panic attacks when I would leave meetings, and then I would clean, and then I would go to the gym, and I would, you know, just be crazy, crazy, crazy. And um, I can still be crazy, but uh, not in that way. And I didn't know the warning of my father dying uh, from heart attack and late-stage diabetes. Um, my mother with diabetes and hospice and what this disease did to her mother, my aunt, and two anorexic aunts, and my sister being an anorexic, and my other sister being a compulsive eater and not really... That was that. That wasn't going to happen to me, right? That wasn't that wasn't going to be me. And um, and then I, you know, I got uh, remember they leaving a meeting, and this one of my friends came up to me and they said, "Haven't you taken this a little too far, Karen? Uh, this man could see my rib cage." And um, it's not like that today, and I'm still seeing more awarenesses of my substances of choice that are still are still like the whatever number 25 and I chucked them out you know God helped me see that you know that's the honesty of this program um I didn't see it when I first came on a vision you know I didn't see it when I first came on um to my first uh OA meeting and I don't want to be in a meeting that's um uh, a diet without uh, with um, a group support, and um, I just know that I do heed what I read, and I do heed in this meeting what I hear, and the experience, strength, and hope from my sponsor, and the and the wonderful experiences I'm getting with the ladies that I work with. I like to call them code uh, travelers, and with that, I'll pass. And I, God bless you all. And have a wonderful, sober day. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Karen. Okay, next up we have Reva followed by Amy. Hey, Reva, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. This is Reva P., compulsive overeater, recovered in Toronto. You know, as people are sharing, I'm really thinking about this sentence, ominous warning, which I failed to heed. And I have lots of remember whens, as we all do, about the little warnings, medically, family members um, saying things, and I failed to heed. Um, and I guess that really reminds me that I've, I'm a real compulsive overeater, that for me, frothy emotional appeal, medical um, issues, like it says, no matter how great the necessity or the wish, if I could just say, hey, I've got a such and such condition, I better not eat so much, then I wouldn't be a real compulsive overeater. So you know what? It took what it took. Um, and it also reminds me of what it says in step one in the AA 12 and 12, that few people will sincerely try to practice this AA program unless I've hit bottom. I have to hit bottom. And thank you god um i hit my bottom um this also reminds me like how about once i'm in program once i'm in program do i fail to heed ominous warnings 
am I starting to really indulge and sink my teeth into resentments? And am I, you know, sitting with the fears and not doing the turnarounds and not following the turnarounds by step 11 and asking and getting quiet and listening for guidance and then getting out of self and focusing on others like 10, 11, 12 are so intertwined. And I think those are more common, the warnings that it's easy for me to forget in abstinence, in program, like, you know, getting a little bit, little bit, uh, I don't need to do that, I don't need to do this, um, um, I can get away with this, I can get away with that. Um, and then the food starts getting louder. So, you know, there's warnings before we get to the program, but within program, how do we stay here every day? Every day is a day that I need to be spiritually fit. I've only got a 24-hour battery. Um, and minute by minute, hour by hour, there are little warnings um, that keep me on the beam, and I need to uh, pay attention. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Reva. Amy, what do you want to do? Hi, Amy. Good morning. Hey, Larry. Good morning. <laughs> My name's Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Um, I'm going to piggyback on, on what Harlan was saying, this idea of did I think like Bill, did I feel like Bill, did I drink or eat like Bill, or in, you know, eating versus drinking. And to me, I see myself all over this. You know, he fancied himself the leader. He, had the, he assumes he has this talent for leadership that is going to help him manage vast enterprises with utmost assurance. I mean, I don't know about you all, but I lived life in the extremes. I was either better than you all or I was worse than you all. I mean, we talk about a personality of, a, of an addict, the personality of a compulsive overeater. Um, and, and, and here is someone that assumes and expects to be a certain way, and I can relate to that because somehow – you know, I always assumed I was supposed to be some great person. Now, granted, I didn't know how I was going to get there. I don't know where the instruction manual for life was that I assumed everybody else had. But it was definitely this ego that said, you know, well, of course, I'm supposed to be this great person. And of course, of course, Bill's saying I should be the head of vast enterprises and I should be able to run them with vast assurance. I mean, how, how do we get that? I mean, why do I eat? I'm restless, irritable, and discontent until I can again sense the ease and comfort that comes from taking a bite. Well, why am I restless and irritable and discontent? I'm assuming and expecting and living life in a way that sets me up. Remember, eating and compulsive eating and food was my answer, my solution to how I was living life, and the problem was me. And this is part of the problem is the personality of a compulsive overeater. Those characteristics of how I was living my life and how I saw myself in relation to other people and in my life was completely off kilter, completely off kilter. These ideas I developed of where I was supposed to be without any effort of getting there. I mean, I just always assumed I was supposed to be something that I wasn't and that who I was depended upon what you told me I was or what I achieved. And so all of these things are starting to develop in Bill and it's no, it's no surprise that alcohol became an answer, just like there was no surprise that food became an answer because the chasm between what I presented to the world and how I felt about myself on the inside was like the Grand Canyon. And food was the only thing that 
solved that or gave me that sense of ease and comfort because I couldn't be the person that I wanted to be and I could never reach and meet those expectations. So it's giving us the development of a personality. You know, talked about in recovery, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. That's what I needed because the personality I had and the characteristics I had prior to program led to the insanity of compulsive overeating. And just real quick, the ominous warning, I guess we have to beg the question, why do we fail to heed the, the ominous warning? It's because I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm warped by the mental obsession. It didn't matter how many ominous warnings I had. This is written in past tense. I would have never heeded them because of the mental obsession and my warped thinking. Grateful to be here today. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Amy. Okay, we have next up Roz, followed by Sophia. Roz, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Roz G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Palmdale, California. And uh, I don't have a whole lot to add to the last share. <laughs> Thanks, last few shares. Um, I, 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 I identify in the same way. Um, I guess I'll just say it anyway. Um, what is a, you know, what do me, a mixed racist woman um, from uh, Northridge, California, has in common with this uh, man who was born in the 1800s, late 1800s, a Wall Street, a man from Wall Street, uh, and I have in common? Huh? A lot. Um, I've, you know, read this story so many times, as many of you have. And I never get sick of it. I never get tired of it. It never, it never gets boring. I, I love to, to read this story because I see myself in it more and more every time. And I, too, ignored ominous warnings. Um, that food was going to put weight on me. That food's going to make me get fat. That food has, is high in calories. Uh, it didn't matter to me because what I would do is I would eat it and I'd figure, well, I'll just go ahead and work it off. Uh, I'll go to the gym and I'll work twice as hard to work that, that food off. That, that was how, you know, I would deal with any kind of warnings about um, the foods that I like to eat, macaroni and cheese, chocolate chip cookies, those kinds of things. I would just figure, well, this is what I'm going to have. I'm going to have to spend more time in the gym. And also, me with the with fancying myself a leader, everywhere I went, I figured I knew better than you. And I always, just like Bill, I always imagined myself the leader, always wanting to be in charge always thinking I knew how to solve the problem or you're doing it wrong. If you did it this way, things would turn out a lot better. And I suffered a lot of pain trying to always be uh, noticed or the head of something and not having any humility towards it whatsoever. And it and I ended up getting hurt in a lot of ways because as the you know, as I've heard earlier on this share and then I've heard in earlier shares, I wanted to have the reputation of a leader or somebody who knew something 
or yeah, being a leader of the, of whatever it was, but not really working towards it. So many times I got I got hurt over that, and I learned that humility is so important. And if that I really want to do something and and I really want to earn get something, I need to earn it. And then you know, there's this thing of about servant leadership, um, being humble and taking things with an attitude of gratitude is the way that I've learned how to live and to, 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 to do. So whatever talents uh, I have been given, they have been given to me by God. And there's another person that I uh, hear a lot says, a giving God, thank you, giving credit where credit is due. Thank you, God. It's God that gets the credit, no longer I. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. Okay, next up we have Sophia followed by Catherine. Hi, Sophia. Good morning. It's your turn. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for your services. Sophia J. Compulsive overeater from Northwest Indiana. Thank you so much for everybody that shared and everybody that's read. Um, I am so grateful to be in the solution today. The big book now is coming to life to me when I read it. It's like everything is just popping out. I've been in the rules for years. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, since 1993, and I never took it serious, you know, uh, I never studied the big book, you know, but we, I left the meetings and we went to restaurants after the meetings and ate. It was not, I just, I just didn't take it serious. I thought I, you know, I would always get control of it, you know, on my weight, even though I was eating whole pound cakes, you know, but I thought, you know, someday I'll get control of it. My bottom was um, when my best friend, I'm not even knowing since kindergarten, we went to kindergarten together. She fought for me all the time. I was born with a cleft lip, so I was teased a lot. I was born in Chicago, and uh, she always fought for me. <laughs> Our birthdays was one day apart, we were the same age. And it wasn't, she was very smart, beautiful, uh, social worker. A people's person, loved life. We were the same size. We traded clothes. We ate together. We both were well over 300 pounds, 350. And um, she had a 16-year-old son. And I was at work and got the call that she had a heart attack. I got in my car and I drove to Indianapolis. And there she was, coming out of surgery, hooked up to every machine out there. She didn't make it. That was my bottom because I knew that that would be me. You know, I, I, I knew that. I said that would be me next. I couldn't say, Dee Dee. I knew about Oway. And I, I couldn't say her. I couldn't be the example for her. But today I can. I didn't take it serious then, but today I do everything. I can to fight against that first compulsive bite. And if that means getting on meetings all day, if that means sponsoring 100 people, getting a message to whoever, wherever I can, I go back to that fat doctor that I used to go to. I go back to that clinic. Except I go back now to get (laughs) blood pressure medication. I was going to get diet pills before, but he's actually my primary doctor. 
that I talk to. If he doesn't know that I talk to the people there at the clinic, I try to clear them there. But, you know, we don't have to eat ourselves to death today, you know. And and, and I'm grateful to have a solution to for such a fatal, progressive, and fatal ill. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Sophia. Much appreciated. Okay, next up we have Catherine, followed by Michelle. Oh, Catherine, it's your turn. Hi, I'm Catherine C. I'm from Durham, North Carolina, and I'm a compulsive overeater, exercise bulimic, and anorexic. Um, I just found this paragraph very interesting um, in the fact that, yes, I too can re- can relate to growing up. I had a very depressive temperament, anxious child. I was compulsively exercising and eating by the age of 10. I didn't have consequences until I was about 16. And these were all ominous warnings. But it also just made me think back to how over the past few years I've gone through the steps. I've, been li- I've lived in the solution. But what were the ominous warnings before my last relapse? Um, and they had nothing to do with the food. And it just reminds me of the bedevilment. It's... Um, the food, as I was taught, is the last thing to go as I work my way backwards through the steps. So the ominous warnings I failed to heed. Let's see. Um, all of a sudden, I am living in fear. I'm living anxiety. I'm trying to run and control the show. Uh, for me also, my anorexic and bulimic tendency, I mean, my um, exercise bulimia starts to come undone. Um, I'm snapping at people that don't need to be have my anger at them. I'm gossiping. I am useless to the people around me because I can't even be present with people. Um, I'm trying to like solve tomorrow's problems while living in today. I have fear and insecurity around money and financial uh, status, and the list goes on and on. And as these things build and build and build, and I work my way backwards, and I become more and deeper and deeper into self, all of a sudden one day I just woke up and I was just tired. I was just so tired. And I just picked up. It's as simple as that. I was living in the bedevilment. I worked my way backwards through steps. And the food is the last thing to go. So for me, I really need to look at these other ominous warnings besides the food, besides the exercise, besides all of these other things because the food for me is the last thing to go. It's just a symptom of this larger, deep hole, spiritual bankruptcy I have, which is my primary problem. Um, and, I, and that's all I have. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Larry. Oh, you bet. Thanks, Catherine. Okay, Michelle, it's your turn. Good morning. Well, good morning. My name is Michelle M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater and food addict from upstate New York. I want to thank you for hearing me and letting me do service. Um, I always hear that um, ominous warning, and it makes me think back about when I was so in the food and when the food was the answer or I thought my problems. I mean, I had family and friends 
you know, gently or not so gently telling me what, what's happening and what could happen. I had doctors tell me I, I'm going to diabetes, depression, anxiety, hypercholesteremia, high cholesterol. I mean, the writing was on the wall. And I stopped. I ignored it all. But then I even went further as to say, you know what? That's probably going to happen. I'm probably going to die of a heart attack or I'm probably going to die, you know, from, you know, a diabetic stroke. But you know what? I would much Michelle, we just uh, we just lost you there. Press star one again, Michelle. Okay, there may be a technical difficulty there with Michelle. Um, Charles, we'll come back to you. Hey, Chuck. Okay, is there another person that'd like to share? Lou B from Texas. All right, let's go with Chuck Jolene. and Lou B, and then we'll. Was it Joni? Jolene? Yeah, what's we'll, Oh, Jolene. Oh, hey, Jolene. Let's see if hey. we have time for you, Jolene. Hi. Sure. So we got uh, Charles, Lou, and Jolene. We'll see if we can get through there. Hey, Chuck, what's up, brother? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, Larry, my brother? Omnius warning, which I failed to heed. Anything above nutrition is emotion. Omnius warning, which I failed to heed. People texting and calling saying, I can't do this. I'm in the food. Bill W. looking at a, a, a funeral, a doggerel, um, of somebody that died of an addiction that he is encamped in. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. You know, Bill W. and those, those, those Dr. Bob and those, those old timers, not doing 10 steps. Can you imagine if they was living in 2020 not doing 10 steps? Ominous warning, which I failed to heed not trying to carry this message to somebody else or even at a group level, not for ego, because I need to create a fellowship that I crave. In, in a vision for you, chapter 11, bankruptcy, the word fellowship is in there about eight or nine times. Omnius warning, which I failed to heed. And somebody dear to me in my life that says um, the most underutilized steps is step two and 10 and the most missed understood is three and four. Omnius warning, which I failed to heed. And also, of course, I'm going to close with this, the four beautiful impediments that block me, hinder me from power. Omnius warning, which I failed to heed. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it. Okay. Hey, Lou and Jolene, would you guys split two and a half minutes each? What's up, Lou? Not much. How are you, Larry? I'm um, doing good. Great to hear you. Yeah, thanks for hearing me. I just I want to work. I want to focus on the words. Uh, so Lou, I'm Lou B from Texas. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and food addict. Um, I want to focus on the words. Was moved. You know, he visited this cathedral and he was moved. And um, I've been moved by the shares this morning. It's re- it reminded me of my own warnings that I've heard in my life. But, guys, I want to say this morning that I've just been moved by this big book and moved by the, the things that I hear on this meeting and the things that I read. My higher power is just moving within me, and I am, uh, I'm awed by 
by what I read and, and how my higher power, you know, enters my mind. So I am moved by this program. I do want to uh, say that one thing I heard this morning that really spoke to me was about the warnings inside the rooms and the warnings after I get here. And that's when I get complacent and um, I'm grateful for that. So anyway, thanks for, for hearing me and everybody have a great day. I'll pass. Oh, thanks, Lou. Appreciate it. All right, here's a miracle. Jolene, how's that for an intro? Good morning, everyone. This is Jolene from upstate New York. Um, I feel absolutely moved as well from all of this. And the whole ominous warning thing to me is layered. It shows up all the time. I have revelation because of it. And I think the biggest revelation and a massive reminder this morning was the food is not the problem. It's never been the problem, right? And we've been talking about this. The solution is the spiritual path. And I know some folks who don't have that, you know, we talk, we have the chapter where chapters to the agnostic, I realize we're not in that, but for folks that can't get there or don't have that spiritual path or that spiritual understanding, there is a higher self in all of us. That's the aim. And one of the things that I thought about when I first was in this program or my spirit, spirituality perhaps wasn't in place, I my higher self. And the way I can get to that is with this spiritual solution, this higher self solution, this higher power solution. And then all the warnings disappear because I moved into that space where this is where I find it. And I was just reminded once again this morning that sometimes we keep looking at the food and looking at the food and that's the problem, but it's not. And with repetition and remembering this and showing up to these calls and talking to people and talking to our sponsor and really being willing to dive in, like Charles was saying, into the fellowship, it's in there eight or nine times, this is the space and the conversation we need to be having. We need to keep showing up to this space, to this conversation, to these places, and that's when the shift happens. And one last thing. It took us a long time to get to where we are. It took us a long time to get really good at all of the bad habits that we do have. It's going to take a little while to move in this space. Be graceful with yourself. Be loving. Be patient. And when it hurts and when it's painful, reach out to the fellowship or the book. Read a page. Listen to a podcast. Listen to the, the Vision for You recordings. Be in that conversation and in that space. I'm grateful so much for all of you. Have an amazing Thursday. With that, I pass. Uh uh, thanks for wrapping us up there, Jolene. Much appreciated. And thank you to everyone who uh, who joined us this morning and shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Let me give you the share ID for today. Uh, that number is 15,231. That's 15231. And we're now going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer. I got just the person to close us out here. Hey, Sam, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. My name is Sam S. I'm a compulsive reader anorexic. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if our, your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.